0: Excited to be sharing about Jesus here in our second week of our Christmas Lights series. Uh, In this series, we are looking at various ways that we can understand Jesus and light. How This is a metaphor that they often go together, and today we're talking about just one of the central ones. A day where Jesus made a claim that was bold, that was courageous, that even made some people mad when he was talking about the relationship between himself and light. You know, as human beings, we, were, we are created for light. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never met a child who's afraid of the light, right? Afraid of the darkness? Definitely. Afraid of the light? Well, that would be pretty unfortunate because we're around it an awful lot, aren't we? We like to sleep in the dark. That's a good thing. But beyond that, we are people who are created for the light. Maybe some of you had an experience like I did when I was little. My family and I, we went to a cave and we got to do a tour. You know, you've probably done that. And you you get way back deep in the cave and then they do something interesting. They decide to turn off all the lights. And you've never really experienced darkness until you've experienced it in that way, where there's truly the absence of any kind of light. Of course the experience becomes even greater or even better if you have a tour guide who's a bit of a junior comedian as well right it's dark and he starts making clicking sounds with his mouth and saying oh it seems like the electricity's out I don't know what we're gonna do not a good moment right children start crying old men in the fetal position right you know it's a, it's legit scary back there we're created for the light not for the darkness Jesus made a bold proclamation in John chapter 8 when he said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now maybe you've heard that before. It's one of the seven "I am" statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. They're statements that help us to understand his core identity: who is Jesus? And you might say, "Okay, that's that's fine. Light of the world. I've heard that before. We sing about it. We talk about it. Where's the controversy?" Well, you've got to understand the backstory a little bit uh, because it's interesting what happens on either side of this story. Uh, right after this, Jesus is going to actually heal a guy who has been born blind, right? And so he's not only going to talk about being the light, he's going to go and do it. But before this, we find that Jesus is in this feast called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, also known as Sukkot. It's a very sacred holiday uh, for people of the Jewish faith. And, and so it's significant because of what was taking place, what was being celebrated at this feast. Jesus is there. Uh, He's with his disciples, and they are celebrating this time together. It's a time where the Jewish folks would actually uh, do something interesting. They would build uh, little tents, like in their backyard. They'd go out and celebrate. Like, we've got an example of a a beautiful one right here. Uh, (laughs) That's if your parents are like overachievers, right? I think they call that glamping now, right? Here's a more realistic version of what that could look like if your parents are a little more average. Um, You know, so whatever it may be, this is is what they do. They camp out in their backyard. And if I can skip here to the last verse in the section, it gives us an interesting indicator. Verse 20, it says this. Jesus spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not come. Well, two things, it locates Jesus here. He's in a very large area of the temple uh, where where lots and lots of people were able to come and to give their offerings and all these kind of things. So Jesus is talking in a very public place, a very crowded place. Anybody been to opening day in Cincinnati? You know what I'm talking about, right? Lots of people, lots of crowds. This is kind of what Jesus, where Jesus is at, except we're not celebrating the Reds this day. No, we're celebrating something different. We're celebrating the faithfulness of God. And you notice that it says there that they had not seized him, which means they were mad at him. Okay, we can kind of infer that from the passage. But they didn't do it. They didn't seize him. They didn't arrest him because his time had not yet come. So why are they so mad? What's the problem? What is it that the religious leaders are angry with Jesus about? Well, it goes back to the nature of this feast, this this, uh, Feast of Tabernacles. You see, what they were doing is they were remembering their time way back in the wilderness when they, were, they left Egypt, God rescued them from Egypt, and then they went into the wilderness. They were supposed to go kind of direct to the promised land, but they took a little 40-year detour because, remember, they didn't have courage, they didn't want to take the promised land, so they, they wandered around through the wilderness. Throughout all this time, they would live in temporary structures, that's why it was like, a, or still today, is like a camping kind of holiday. It's popular with families because it's a camp out kind of thing, which is cool. But it's a remembrance of the fact that God was with us when we were out there camping in the wilderness. God didn't leave us. He didn't forsake us. Even when we turned our back on him, God was still faithful to us. But there's some, another element of this, this feast that's really important that we understand. It was a feast where they had a whole lot of light as well. We've, in fact, we've got an image here of the temple courts, what it would have looked like here. There were four candelabras, giant ones, in each corner of the temple court there outdoors. And so it was all lit up outside. And these things were huge. They were, these four uh, candelabras, they were impressive. They had underneath them, they had these giant golden bowls that h- held oil and these things would hold like 17 gallons apiece why so much cuz they would burn all night long so when when evening would come the priest well, probably one of the younger priests would climb up the ladder. He'd light the light this uh, the, these big candelabras, and it would light up the whole area out there. People would take light from this and smaller candles, and they would set them all around town. It was an incredible night for everybody except for the Jerusalem fire marshal. He hated it, but everybody else was really pumped about this, right? Because, because we were celebrating and we were singing and dancing. In fact, it tells us that the, the pious people would actually stay up all night long throughout this feast. They'd take naps in the daytime because they wanted to be out there. So why light? What does all this light have to do with camping? Well, if you remember when the people were, were traveling through the wilderness... They would be led by a pillar of cloud in the daytime, and, and at night when they'd camp out, there would be a pillar of fire there, miraculous things. They were signs of God's presence, okay? So they were signs of God's presence there with the people. In fact, more than that, they, the, the pillar of fire was seen as God's protection, Because when they exited Egypt, remember they they leave, the Pharaoh finally gives in, lets them go, they're on their way to the promised land, then like seemingly ten minutes later the Pharaoh's like, oh no, we can't let them go, this was my workforce. So he sends his army out to go and get the people, and there they are, they got the Red Sea in front of them, they got Pharaoh's army behind them, they got a problem. And so the pillar of cloud that had been guiding them, at this point, it moves and it goes around behind them. And on the, the Egyptian side, it was a pillar of cloud, of darkness. But on the Israelite side, it's this pillar of fire that lights up the night, that gives them confidence, that gives them courage, that their Lord is protecting them, standing between them and their enemies And and it was a reminder of the presence of the protection of God that had literally saved their lives that day when Moses raised up his staff and they all went through the Red Sea. It was a reminder of God's protection and God's presence. And so it was at this feast, as you might imagine, maybe even as the priests are getting ready to, to light these candelabras, or maybe they already have, right, that Jesus Christ stands up and says, hey, I am the light of the world. Hmm. Really, Jesus? You're, no, you're not the light. The light, remember, you're forgetting the story, right? The light was God's presence all along with us in the wilderness when we were traveling through. You aren't the light. In fact, that's kind of blasphemy to say that because God is the light. We know God was the light. God's the one who led us through the promised land. We wouldn't even exist as a people without that light. Who are you to stand here and say, I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The religious leaders were offended. The Pharisees challenged him. It says, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Basically, you're one guy, and you're testifying this about yourself, right? That's not overly compelling, right? I could tell you, I could say, I am the best basketball player in Cincinnati, and you would say, probably not. Says who? Oh, says me. Okay, well then definitely not. If you're the one who's telling this, right, that's not very believable. Jesus then appeals to their own law in an interesting way, because see, they had a law that said for testimony to be valid, it had to, be, uh, it had to have two witnesses collaborate Right? Verse 17, in your own law, Jesus says, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. The other witness is my father who sent me. They asked him, who's your father? He replied, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. (laughs) Now, you know, that's not going to go over too well. In other words, he's saying, God is my father. And you want to know who the witness is that I'm the light of the world? Ask God. You could, but you don't really know him because you don't really know me either. Jesus is on fire today, don't you think? He's like, he is really sticking it to him with these words. And now we understand why John says they didn't arrest him basically because God wouldn't let him. It wasn't time yet for that kind of stuff. I am the light of the world was controversial because Jesus is stating that he is God, that he is the one who's been there for the Israelites all this time, that he is the one who's been faithful, that essentially, as he would say another time, he and the Father are one. Or as we read previously, when it, John, John said that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a strong statement. It's a statement that we wrestle with today as a people who live in a world that's often full of darkness. Who do you trust as the source of light? When you look at Jesus, do you look at him as someone who was a nice guy a good teacher, but God? No, not God. <laughs> well, if you take that position, you're taking a very illogical position. Like we've said recently, someone who stands up in 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 the middle of this feast and says, "I am the light of the world," they're either right or they're crazy. You don't have another option. This is this is nonsensical. Otherwise, and Jesus is saying, "I'm God." and I'm the light. When you're walking in darkness, l- turn to me. All of you who are wandering around, who are, who are lost, those who are scared, those who are alone, I'm the light. Those who are depressed, those who are hurting, those who are struggling, I'm the light, Jesus says. Those who have lost their way, those who've gotten off track, those who wonder if there's hope for the prodigal to ever come home, I am the light. I'm the one you can trust. I'm the one, ultimately, who would give his life, Jesus would say. He's the light. Do you know that light? Do you know that light personally in your life? 1948, there's a guy named Hank Williams. He wrote a famous song you might have heard before. He sings this, I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Finish it with me. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. Danny's on it, right? You can clap along with him, right? know when the generous folks who gave money for that organ, I'm sure they were thinking of that moment right there, right? (laughs) A little little holy ho down here. It's an incredible song, right? I saw the light. There's so much hope, but when you know the story of the author, there's a lot of tragedy in the song. Hank wrote that song in, in 1948. Three years later, Hank would be continuing his his ongoing battle with alcoholism and drug addiction. Hank was to sing or to perform in uh, San Diego, two shows that day, in fact. Hank got up for the first of those shows. He was so drunk and high that he only made it through two songs before stumbling off the stage. The uh, person putting the concert on had a big problem, of course. There's one failure, and uh, another show is coming in a little bit. So the the show's promoter and Minnie Pearl, they they got Hank and they they put him in a car and they they drove him around town to keep him from using anymore and to hopefully to help him to settle to to sober up a little bit to be ready. They tried to encourage him by singing his songs along with him. They came to this song and they sang the very first stanza when Hank looked up and he said, Minnie, I don't see light. There ain't no light. Just a few weeks later, Hank would be sitting in the back of his Cadillac somewhere in West Virginia when he would overdose, take his own life. Did Hank really see the light? Well, that's between Hank and his creator, of course. But what we do know is that Hank did not begin a a new route. He didn't instead he continued down this route that was guided by pain by substance abuse and i ask you today is jesus is the light of jesus is it a real thing in your life see many people do what hank did and that is we come to god in the darkness of our sin we want the benefits of following jesus without the real conversion of turning from sin that's not how it works you see, when we're saved, it's an amazing thing what God's grace does. In, in that instant when we give our lives to Jesus, we are justified. We're made right with God. Our sins are forgiven. God clothes us in his righteousness. We become children of God. It's incredible in that instant. But that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. We're saved both in an instant and throughout our lifetime. John Wesley our founder would say that he is being saved meaning that he is growing in the grace of God not that you work your way into a right relationship with God but when you have a right relationship with God it changes the way that you live it it shapes you it it helps you to be more and more and more like Jesus. And so instead of wandering around, stumbling around in the darkness, it's not just a one-time look at a light. No, it's an ongoing following of this light. Like the people of Israel walking in the wilderness, they're following this light, following the light of God's guidance. So I ask you today, what are you going to do with the light? What are you going to do with the light? Think about the light of the sun for a moment. You can expose a variety of items to sunlight outdoors, and you get some different results, right? For example, if the sunlight, let's imagine the sunlight shining through a glass, like in this beautiful image here, right? It could be a cold day, and that light could be shining through the glass. You go up and you touch that glass. The glass is still going to feel pretty cold, right? Because the glass, while it has, the, the sunlight has shown, it's passed kind of right on through it. It hasn't, the, the, it, the light hasn't changed the temperature of that glass very much. The light just kind of goes right on through. And you know, there's so many people that they hear the good news of Jesus, but they don't allow it to transform their lives. It just kind of passes right on through. I, I don't have time for that. Someday I'll worry about that stuff, you know. Someday when I'm older, I can give my life to Jesus. There'll be time then. I don't don't have time now. It's a tragic decision, friends, because you're missing out on the light that of Jesus Christ. It's a lamp to your feet. It's a light to your path. You're you're choosing to stumble in darkness throughout your life, hoping that maybe someday you'll flip on the lights right before death. It just doesn't make sense. It's not how God calls us to live. One thing we could choose to do with that light is we could choose to let that light pass on through you, and that would be a tragic decision. Let me give you another image. These flowers that are soaking up the sunlight, right? It's it's an amazing thing. I was told earlier by a member of our choir that uh, that these sunflowers, they, they not only just stand there, they actually follow the light in the daytime. It's an incredible thing, right? How they kind of trace with the sunlight because they want all of it they can get. These things, they want to soak up all the sunlight possible. The light's out. I want it because the light is life-giving. You take these flowers, you put them in the darkness. They're not going to live for long. They need the light. They need the light. And maybe that's how your faith is. You've given your life to Jesus and you're just so hungry for him. You're, you're reading the word, you're praying, you're coming to church, you're going to your life group, you just want more and more and more of Jesus. Or maybe you re- remember a time in your life was that, where that was you. Jesus wants to have that kind of relationship with you. A, a, light, a life that is just soaking up the light of Jesus Christ, soaking up the sunshine, just like those flowers. Let the light soak into you. Let it transform you. Let it change who you are because that's what the light of Jesus will do in your life. A third image I want to give to you, though, is even a whole other level. These solar panels, well, they're in a league of their own. They receive the light, the same light that passes through the glass, but they absorb the light. They get warmed up by it, but much more than that, they take this light and, and they convert it to an energy that is usable to us, to electricity, right? And so now this, this sunlight that the solar panel received, it can become a light that's transformative. This, this sunlight becomes the power or it empowers the, the ventilator for the person in the hospital who's on life support. Now it keeps them alive too it or perhaps it becomes the electricity that that powers a refrigerator at the food pantry that feeds the hungry on Thursday night over at our Salem campus there's so many different ways that this 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 power can be transformative and that my friends is what god wants to do through you let the light empower you for the sake of the world let the light empower you to for the sake of the world that you can be transformed and also that you can allow, empower others to be transformed by the word of God. God wants to do that. How might he use you this Advent season? You know, a simple way is to invite others to come with you. to Those who don't know Jesus, invite them to come to church on Christmas Eve. We'd love to share with them the good news of Jesus. Right in the narthex, we've got cards about that. You can take a few and, and invite them. Or share with your friends on social media. Whatever it is Jesus leads you to do. Or maybe it's in your neighborhood. There's somebody who just needs some extra kindness. Or there's somebody that God's calling you to be generous with and and to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Do that. Be obedient. Maybe there's a friend or a family member. Maybe there's a relationship you need to mend by apologizing. Whatever it is, do it. Because Jesus Jesus wants to shine through you. He's the light of the world. And we get to go out as the lamps of the world, the ones who shine this light for all to see. Let's go and do that, church. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you outshine all the other lights, and we give you praise. We're grateful to live in the light of your love. We thank you for shining on us and for showing us what it means to be a light and what it means to love. Jesus, we praise you that you willingly let your body be broken, your blood be shed, so that we could come to know you. Lord, we pray that as we meet you at this table, as we receive of your body and blood, that you would transform us so that we can be your light in this world. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.